0: There's the episodes we love to hate and the episodes we hate. So, right front and centre, we're not gonna see up the long ladder, shades of grey or extinction on this, because they're pants. With that in mind, I'm Sean Ferrick for Trek Culture, and here are 10 Star Trek episodes you love to hate. Number 10. Threshold. Tom Paris becomes a giant salamander. That's the sales pitch, and you know what? There are far worse ways for a story to go. This is another episode that has the benefit of time on its side, as when it was initially released, it was just a little too rubbish to be properly appreciated. This is Star Trek Voyager taking a risk in a completely bonkers way. Breaking the Warp 10 barrier seems like it should be the primary aim of all propulsion experts in Starfleet. Therefore, seeing Paris attempt to flight isn't all that ridiculous. The fallout from this is a series of segments of the episode getting weirder and weirder as it goes, then Paris pulls out his tongue, as one does. The idea is what hurt the episode. There's going to be several lists, including ones written by this author, where the episode is panned. But, is it really that bad? Okay, perhaps it is, but is it offensively bad? Not in the slightest. Robert Duncan McNeil is clearly having a ball playing this de-evolved version of humanity. The makeup effects are truly impressive, and even though the ending is highly questionable, those little salamander babies are really quite cute. No one is arguing that this is a good episode, but it is ridiculous fun all the same. Number nine, Precious Cargo. Precious Cargo is an almost straight remake of The Perfect Mate, though it's a far inferior copy. Think of it as the B4 to Mate's Data. It just isn't as good, and it's never going to be. So what's it doing on this list? Connor Trenir and Padma Lakshmi have a strange, funny, volatile relationship in the episode that somehow makes this dreadful script work. While this hour of Star Trek is definitely a candidate for the old saying great actors can't save a bad script, just watching the two of them play off each other helps to bring a bit of charm to proceedings. Having said that, Lakshmi, with all due respect, is not a great actor here. The weight falls mostly on Trenir to carry the plot, and there. are are some moments where she becomes a little grating, hardly her fault the character description is be entitled, but the respect that grows between them is actually quite endearing and by the episode's end the audience can almost believe that they really would have come to fancy each other. The episode is awful, but it's the kind of awful that gets a little better on the rewatch. Number 8, Spock's Brain. Spock's Brain constantly turns up on lists of the worst episodes of Star Trek and for good reason, Uh, frankly it's awful. It was a victim of the slashed budget that Star Trek's third season received, with a weak script to match. Leonard Nimoy went on the record to say he was embarrassed while filming the episode, and no one involved was particularly enthused about where the season would go from there. Now, having said all of that, there's now been 50 years to reclass this episode, and while it's still not about to arrive on most-loved lists, it has passed into so bad it's good. Vulcans can exist for a short time without a brain. Sure, why not? McCoy is able to reattach Spock's brain while speaking to the man? Sure, why not? By this stage in Star Trek, while there hadn't been any other occurrences that were exactly the same as this, it was an extreme version of how far along the realms of fantasy that Star Trek existed. In a show that featured transporters, phasers and replicators, then why can't these alien creatures live on for a time after a craniotomy? There is an argument to be made that Spock's Catra in Star Trek 3 is a refined version of this episode's idea. Number 7. Stardust City Rag. On initial airing, this episode wound up a lot of people the wrong way. It opens with the brutal death of a fan-favorite character, then is followed up with Patrick Stewart in Pantomime, before finishing with Seven of Nine becoming a cold-blooded killer. Frankly, it was many things that Star Trek had successfully avoided being in its lifetime. But is it really that bad? The actors are obviously having a ball here, though none more so than Santiago Cabrera as Rios, bopping away like an over-the-top pimp as he stumbles around the bar. As Rios in the normal run of things, he oscillates between grumpy and depressed, so seeing him let loose a little is extremely enjoyable to watch. The first hints of something more between Seven and Raffi are laid on the holodeck, while Michelle Heard's performance alongside her on-screen son is heart-wrenching. The villains are way for thin, serving only as a blockade against the retrieval of Maddox, even if they're a little fun in their own way. Gerardi's murder of Bruce is probably the main reason that this episode scores so low, as it really doesn't get a satisfying resolution. Alison Pill really does sell the scene, if nothing else. Enjoy the episode for the dreadful French accent that a seemingly French Picard stumbles through on free cloud. Number 6. Sobrosa Remember the episode where Beverly f- the candle? Sure you do. Try to forget it. In fact, even Gates McFadden has called this one out for its ridiculous story, loosely based on Anne Rice's The Witching Hour. Duncan Rager guest stars as Ronan, the candle in question, and the Scottish backdrop is a valiant attempt to make an atmospheric ghost story. It's completely ridiculous, start to finish, but it's the kind of ridiculous that's fun rather than simply stupid for stupid's sake. McFadden, even though she was as confused as the rest of us, still gives it her all as the hopelessly in love Doctor Crusher falling for Ronan's charm only Captain Picard seems to understand just how bonkers the plot is, knocking on Crusher's door and calling her out for her distinctly odd behaviour. It's an episode that has aged with charm, even if it is as silly today as it was then. It's the characters that we know and love, taking a trip like a college kid on their first experience with booze, Jonathan Frakes directs with as much fake lightning as the studio would allow. Sub Rosa is... unique. Number 5, Plato's Stepchildren. Plato's Stepchildren is mostly remembered for the infamous kiss between Kirk and Uhura, but there's another reason why it should never ever be forgot. This episode is insane! Truly, the writing team had obviously drunk something that was off while they were coming up with this one. The choices are simply bizarre, though they are absolutely entertaining all these years later. Captain Kirk is pretending to be a horse. Why is Captain Kirk pretending to be a horse? Captain Kirk wants to make... Uh, okay, maybe, maybe not the last part. That is saved strictly from mountains. Still, the actors are all pushed into the strangest positions by the Plutonians. McCoy is tossed around by an invisible wind, Spock dances, Kirk slaps himself. The episode does try to put across a progressive message. Not only does it include the case, but it also contains the message that size, colour and species don't matter in the 23rd century. This is especially welcome news for Alexander, played by Michael Dunn who was a dwarf. This message is slightly undone when Kirk informs Scotty that he is bringing a little surprise aboard at the episode's close. Honestly, don't go into this one looking for sense, and you'll have a good time. Number 4, Justice. A bunch of semi-naked people run around a grassy planet and Wesley Crusher is sentenced to death. Now it sounds like the greatest things in sliced bread, but Somehow, this mix managed to deliver a ridiculous episode that even purists struggles with. It's one of the most 80s episodes of The Next Generation's run, one that is absolutely hilarious and woeful at the same time. Picard just casually ignores the prime directive at the episode's end, which seems to haunt him as he spends the next six seasons talking about its importance. Wesley never mentions again how close to death he came, which seems like it would be something that might stick in the mind. Those poor actors had to run in those spandex season 1 uniforms on a bright sunny day. Day. Justice is nonsense made flesh, with next to no reason for existing, other than to show a bunch of fit people and that cool image of the Edo's god in the sky. But at the same time, it's quintessential first season next gen. It's a handy episode to show someone who really wants to know exactly how bad it can get. Just watch this one with a glass of something strong and switch off the brain. Number 3. Move along home. Be honest, you're already singing the song in your head, aren't you? a count to four, a then three more, and though that's quite enough of that, there is a reason that this episode is always on hated lists, even if it can never truly disappear from the franchise. It's incredibly silly, popping up very early in Star Trek Deep Space Nine's run. That means that the characters simply weren't well defined enough for the audience to enjoy them making fools of themselves. However, there really is so much to love here. There's brilliant moments between Quark and Odo, whose friendship would become such a backbone of the series as a whole. Avery books though he was quite vocal in how much he didn't love the episode, throws himself into it, while the other characters merely state the lyrics of the special song, Brooks uses those talented pipes to belt out a blinder. It might be a little more forgivable if it had appeared a little later on in the show's run, though even now, looking back on it with the lens of the time that's passed, it's a bit of harmless fun that never attempts to take itself too seriously. Now try and forget the tune again, I dare ya. Number two, These Other Voyages? Has there ever been an episode of Star Trek that has received quite as much hate as the final episode of Star Trek Enterprise? It's been reviled by cast and audiences alike, with its defenders generally keeping mostly quiet. In the years that followed its release, a rule of thumb became, if Scott Bakula was annoyed by something, it had to be really bad. Scott Bakula did not care for this episode. However, while this is an awful way for Enterprise to end, is the episode itself that bad? It features the return of Riker and Troy with a vocal cameo from Data, the Enterprise D is seen on screen for the first time since Star Trek Generations, the audience finally gets to meet the chef, Shran is back, the birth of the Federation is barely shown, there's plenty to enjoy. The two main problems with it are first, that it isn't an episode of Enterprise so much as it's a forgotten episode of the next generation, and second, what is done to Trip, now this has very thankfully been undone of the Star Trek novels, so armed with that information it makes the episode much easier to bear. It's really not that bad when viewed in isolation. Number 1, Fairhaven and Spirit Folk. Okay? Here it is. Full disclosure, the accent gave it away. I'm an Irish man. Therefore, these episodes were bound to come up on some list sooner or later. The fact that they're both sharing the top spot is a tribute to how strongly the island of Ireland feels about them. The Spirit Folk Law was drafted after their release, which still bars Robert Duncan McNeil from entering the country. While that's of course nonsense, these episodes, Irish stereotypes and all, are actually fun. Though there's clearly many a parody of old country Irish on show, it's handled with good nature, which is starkly different from Up the Long Ladder, the Next Generation's second season episode featuring the diabolical Bring Bringloidy. Whether it's Janeway's relationship with Michael the Barman, or Harry's continued floundering with the girls in the village, there is a niceness, for want of a better word, on show. They're not the finest examples of writing that Star Trek Voyager's ever offered, but they're far from the worst as well. Once you get past Richard Reilly's attempt at an Irish accent, there is plenty to enjoy, and if there's one thing that spirit folk nails, it's the fact that the residents of the town accept the Voyager crew quickly while still trying to find a way to turn it to their advantage as well. And in that respect, I feel like they captured me perfectly.